Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. I want to ask you a question. When was the last time you lost sleep due to anxiety? Could you think of a time when you were awake at night, your eyes were wide open, and you couldn't sleep? For me, it's not that long ago. Actually, uh, two weeks today, we at our church had an angry person disrupt our service. Uh, one of our neighbors. It was awful. I was preaching. There was yelling. There was fish shaking. There was, it was weird. I've never had anything like that in a lot of years. And being a neighbor, you know, it's kind of one thing. We live in Toronto. I understand that sometimes uh, worship services get disturbed uh, because somebody might be mentally ill or intoxicated. But this was a neighbor. Like, we've got to live with this person, uh, an upstairs tenant at our place. And I remember that night, I got to sleep no problem, which was good. But at 1.20, my eyes were wide awake. Uh, I, was, I did not sleep the rest of the night. And I was just stewing over uh, what was going to unfold and how wa- I was going to respond. I don't suffer from sleeplessness a lot, but it happens. And do you know what that's like? Do you know what that's like to be in the middle of the night thinking about some crisis you're going through? And you're just uh, churning over, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Uh, that feeling in the, your stomach of stress and anxiety. Uh, I've been learning, somebody says, do a body scan, which is for me a foreign concept. But it's interesting when you do that, the sense, sometimes you, you're like, okay, I don't feel well, I feel stress, and you do a body scan, and you're like, I just feel like my heart is racing. I feel like my stomach is tight. I feel like everything's in knots. I just feel this sense of stress. Well, the reason why we go through that, of course, is because Uh, Stress does a lot of things in our body. Uh, My wife is kind of getting into this a little bit, uh, the effects of uh, stress on our bodies. But fortunately, under crisis, our bodies release uh, cortisol and adrenaline. And if you know what that's like, these hormones are very valuable. If you're being chased by a bear, it is very good that you have a burst of these uh, chemicals because it raises alertness. You're all of a sudden, you forget what's unimportant and you have a heightened state of awareness of threats and challenges. But that does not help sleep. (laughs) When you have adrenaline and cortisol going through your body, it really interferes with a good night's sleep. And uh, it causes, stress causes, uh, can cause a lack of sleep, which can impact your mood, your energy, your well-being, your relationships, your decision-making. So a lot of us know what it's like to go through a period where we're going through the day and we just feel depleted. We feel like we didn't get the sleep we needed to function well. And that can begin to actually affect our spiritual lives because we 
are longing for contact with God. But I don't know about you, I find it very hard to be godly when I'm sleep-deprived. I get grumpy, I get irritable, I, get, I feel distant from God. And that's why we need to ask ourselves, how can we respond when stress has got us backed up against a wall? Uh, well, how can we respond? Uh, I hate to bring this good news, uh, bad news to you, but all of us are going to go through this. Uh, this week, I just felt like I've overwhelmed with people to pray for. Uh, I got a message from the other day at breakfast, and my stomach just fell because I've got another friend going through a horrible circumstance. I've got another friend who yesterday buried his son. We're going to go through this. There's going to be times in our life where we are so backed against the wall with trouble that we're going to wonder, how can we respond? How can we, when we're lying awake at night, what do we do when we face times of trouble? Uh, again, I hate to, some of you are living this right now. Uh, some of you, life is going really well, but you will probably face some or all of the following, hostility from others, uh, circumstantial problems, tragedies, and personal sorrows. And so it's very important that we look at Psalm 3 today. Now here's, uh, I'll tell you, here's my response uh, that I probably learned growing up. I'm not going to throw my mother under the bus because my mother is amazing. Uh, she deserves none of the blame. Uh, if you knew my family, if you knew my mother, you would say she did remarkably well with the material that she was given. So she's my hero. But here's, I think, what I tend to do myself. I tend to deny problems and minimize them. And here's the gift that my wife has given me. She is, uh, looks at me sometimes and says, basically, she doesn't say she's much nicer than this, but she says, doofus, <laughs> it does not do anybody any favors to deny emotions. And you read that in the Psalms, don't you, as you've been going through the Psalms? The psalmist is not about denying emotions. Uh, the Psalms are actually really good gifts to us of acknowledging how hard life can be. So as important as, as it is to stay positive in this world, you can't be too positive because life is hard, and it is not a good technique to deny the reality of what's going on. So how should we respond to problems? This psalm is going to help us do so. Let me give you the background to Psalm 1. Verse 1 says this, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying in my soul, there is no salvation in, uh, for him in God. So right away you sense the crisis. Psalm one is, or Psalm three, verse one is not the, uh, it, it's not the considered uh, dispassionate uh, musings of somebody who is just reflecting on life. Verse one is a cry of desperation. Verse one is uh, a very raw pouring out to God. At verse 6, we read, I will not be afraid of thousands of people. So you have the sense of somebody who is facing the crisis of his life. The problem is a big one. David has enemies. Now, do you have enemies? Anybody here have enemies? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have enemies like David had enemies. I have enemies. I think I have people who uh, don't love me. Uh, I'm a pastor. Uh, I didn't know this, but being a pastor, you're signing yourself up for the fact that not everyone's going to like you. I remember somebody saying that um, if you want to make people happy, 
uh, don't become a pastor, sell ice cream instead. Like, nobody hates the person who sells ice cream. So, man, like, so I know what it's like to have people hate me. Do I have enemies? Probably. I don't, you and I don't have enemies like David had. When he talks about uh, how many are my foes, he's not talking about, you know, there's this guy when I see him in Metro, it's sort of awkward and I try to go to the next aisle because I don't want to bump into him. He's not talking about that. He's talking about people who want to kill him. He's talking about people who actually have it out for him. David has enemies, and we read in the psalm, they're numerous, they're active, and they're confident. And so right away, you just get this sense of desperation that David is concerned. David is carrying the weight of people who actually not only hate him, but want him dead. And there are a lot of them, and they're feeling very good about their chances of killing him. Well, what is the actual circumstance? Uh, the heading of the psalm says it's a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Uh, if you come from a dysfunctional family, the Bible is going to be very good for you because uh, your, your family is no match for some of the families in Scripture, which is good news for a lot of us. Dysfunctional families are not new. And in this uh, story that we read, and if you have time to look at it later, Second Samuel 15 and 16, David faced the greatest crisis of his life. And his threat was actually his own son. If you can picture, you don't have to picture, some of you know this, the sense of being betrayed by somebody that you love, somebody that you, you gave life to, somebody that you uh, treasured and loved. In fact, David, we read as this crisis goes on, is still consumed with love for his son, the one who betrayed him. And so you know what it's like, some of us, to have somebody that you love turn against you. Uh, his own son, Absalom, betrayed him and led an insurrection against him, uh, was at the city gates and said, oh, it's too bad I'm not king. I would hear your complaints. My father, he's not a very good king. Man, it's just too bad. I wish I could help you, but my hands are tied. I'm not king. And so slowly uh, he builds this uh, this insurgency against his own father, and eventually David is on the run. David had to flee for his life. He had to leave everything behind. I can't picture, you know, I left my condo today. I got my keys. I got my Bible. I got my, uh, like, a couple things. I got an umbrella in case I need it. I can't picture locking the door and grabbing a bag and basically running for my life with just what I could carry with me. That's what David was doing, leaving his kingdom leaving everything behind, leaving his uh, wives behind. Yes, wives, uh, different story. But David had to flee for his life. And here's the hard part. Not only did David's son betray him, but one of his closest advisors, some of his closest friends joined the insurgency. Uh, as David was fleeing, nobody's taunted David and threw stones at him. And so he was humiliated. Uh, he, was, he lost everything. His own son turned against him. He was publicly embarrassed with his own son leading the rebellion against him. Here's, if you can picture the layers here, have any of you ever fallen on the street and the first thing you do, you've scraped your knee, is you look up to see who noticed? It's the funniest thing, isn't it? Uh, not only are you like hurt, but you're actually worried about your reputation. David here has not only lost like the love of his son, he's lost his kingdom, but now he's being publicly shamed and mocked. His reputation has been shredded, and his life is in the balance. His own son wanted him dead. He's experiencing betrayal, civil war, and the likelihood of death. 
he was uh, experiencing fear and anxiety, and I think actually for good reason. This was not a case if David went to somebody for counsel where somebody would say, you're paranoid. This is a case in which it was like, David, you should feel fear and anxiety right now. Uh, 2 Samuel 15, 12 says, and the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. David was in big trouble. And friends, I want you to imagine this. We're unlikely to face anything exactly like what David faced. You and I aren't kings, and I don't, you know, praise God for that, by the way. Uh, praise God that we don't have the pressures that David faced. But the reality is some of you woke up today to a battle. Some of you know what it's like to be the victim of rumors and lying and gossip and misrepresentation, maybe even violence and bribes and stealing. Some of you know what it's like to be betrayed by somebody close to you. You know the person that you trusted the most turned against you. Some of you know what it's like to have children who um, have, to your heartbreak, have turned against you. I don't know what you're going through. One of the advantages of speaking to, uh, uh, as opposed to my church, you know, when I speak to things sometimes, uh, it, can be, it can be like, they know, right? He's preaching to me. Uh, he knows my situation. He's speaking to me right now. The reality is I don't know your stories, but I know that some of you know a little bit about what David is talking about here. You know what it's like to wake up to a battle and you might not face a horde of enemies, but you're facing some enemies. You might not have experienced what David did, but you can relate to his feelings of despair. This psalm gives us a, a window into what we can expect life to be. Man, I'm looking forward to the new earth one day when all of this stuff will be over, but we don't live there yet, do we? We live in a world when we will experience problems like this. If you're experiencing this, I want you to know based on uh, the witness of Scripture, this is kind of life in this broken world. And so this psalm is important because it gives us a window into how we can respond when this happens. Uh, psalm 1 gives us uh, a beautiful picture of the way to live. It's like the gateway to the psalm saying, blessed is the man. And Psalm 2 gives us the idea that uh, God's reign will not go unopposed, that although this is the blessed way to live, that we, are, we can experience opposition in this world. And then Psalm 3 gets personal and says, we will experience the trouble in this world. You will probably experience a hard time in your life at some point. Psalm 3 gives us a picture of what we can expect to experience in this world. And so here's a question. How should we respond? And today I want to highlight three things that we see in Psalm 3 as David faced this impossible situation I'm always hesitant to give, you know, here's three steps because I don't want anyone to hear. Um, you know, sometimes I read, uh, here's three steps to overcoming anxiety or, and it makes it sound so simple. I don't want for a minute for you to think that what I'm gonna give you is simple. But these are just three things that we learn from David's response as he's facing this impossible situation. And here's the first. David teaches us to look to God and not just our problems. David teaches us to look to God and not just our problems. Remember I said two weeks ago I was sleepless. At 1.20 in the morning, my eyes are wide awake. You know what I could think of in that moment? One thing only, which was my problem. And I picked up a book. Eventually I couldn't sleep and I picked up a book, a book that I've been meaning to read for a while. And I flipped through it in the darkness of the night and here's what I read that night. 
I think it was from God. God just guided me to exactly what I need to read. Here's what it said. Anxiety shrinks your world. It can encroach on you and show you a false reality that life is much worse than it actually is. Anxiety's message, there are only two options and they're both bad and there's no, or there's no good options. Now what really hit me from that is when we're in trouble, all we can see is our trouble. Uh, when we're experiencing opposition or difficulty or stress, all we can see is our trouble. And that's why we get so consumed because everything shrinks and everything just becomes this one problem that we're facing. And that's why I really love what David does in this psalm. It would have been natural for David just to see Absalom and the thousands of enemies coming after and killing him. It would be natural, perfectly natural. But I want you to read in light of, of this, I want you to read what he says in verse 3. He's already acknowledged the problem in verses 1 and 2. O Lord, how many of my foes, many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. David could have stopped there and said, God, that's all I see. All I see is like my own son. All I see are these many people saying he's done. But verse 3, I love it. He expands his field of vision and says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. We've sung a song this morning based on this. David expands his vision and says, I need to not just see my problem. I've got to expand my field of vision and see God. I've got to see God in my problem. The rich theological truth that David gives us in verse 3, I really love this because uh, sometimes we talk about God as if we're expressing these, I mean, I love theology, I really do, but sometimes it can seem impersonal, like we're talking about uh, ideas about God. But for David at this point, these theological truths become not just ideas, they become his only hope. They become his lived reality as David expresses who God is. Well, who is God? He says, a shield about me. Uh, David's saying, these guys are coming after me. I need to not just see the enemies. I need to remember that I have a shield. God is my impenetrable shield. God will protect me here. Uh, he says, God is my glory. Remember, David has uh, lost his kingdom. What I've discovered about us, I'm a pastor, right? You know where I get some of my glory from? I know the right answer. God, do you know the reality? When I, next week, everyone, I think of my church is on holiday. Like, it's almost like I have no idea who's going to be there next week. You know those weeks when nobody shows up at church? I begin to realize, you know where I'm getting my glory from? It should be from God. I'm getting my glory from the attendance of the church. I'm getting my glory from my title or how well people think of me. David here has lost all of that. And David says, God, my glory isn't my kingship. My glory isn't by like how well people love me, you are my glory. Like I have to get my identity from you. I've lost everything else, but I haven't lost a source of my security. We can lose our jobs. We can lose our reputations. David's saying we can lose everything and we still haven't lost our glory because that will never be taken away when God is our glory. And so David says, God, you're my shield. You're my glory. I've lost my kingdom, but I haven't lost my glory because I haven't lost you. And you are the lifter of my head. Have you ever been so downcast and somebody comes along 
and uh, they can say it badly. I'm not talking about that, like chins up, chin up, like everything. No, but somebody who just comes along and says, I've still got you. Like, don't despair. You are not alone. And here David is saying these rich theological truths. God, in the middle of this trouble, you have not changed. You are still present with me. You've got everything I need. Friends, what are you going through right now? Has your world shrunk to see only your problem? I want to remind you today, we need to expand our field of vision, even especially in the middle of trouble, and see the reality about God. God has not abandoned you. He has not changed. He is your defense. He is your glory. He is not going to turn his back on you. He has got your back. He's going to lift up your heads. He is for you. If you are in a follower of Jesus Christ today, I want you to know that he has bound himself to you by a promise that cannot be broken. It doesn't matter who abandons you. It doesn't matter what you go through in life. He will never turn his back on you. Uh, sometimes we don't understand why we're going through things. I don't know the answer either. Uh, I think it's horrible to try to give easy answers to complex questions. But here's what I know. God has not turned his back on you in the middle of suffering. I love the story. It's called The Moon is Always Round. It's a story of a, a child. And the father says to the child, what shape is the moon? And the child is very young, but says round. And they go out and look at one night and they see, like, actually it's a crescent, right? So we see the crescent moon. What shape is the moon? It's round. But look, it's a crescent. And teaches his uh, daughter, no, but it's still round. You can't see it, but the moon is always round. When it's a wedge, when it's a squash circle, when you can't even see the moon, it's always round. Just as the moon's shape never changes, the father teaches his daughter, God's goodness never changes. Sometimes you can't see it, but it never changes. The moon is always round. And then one day, they're so excited because uh, the mother is pregnant. The mother goes to the hospital to give birth to the child, and it's a stillbirth. And the mother comes home alone, and there's no baby sister. And of course, they're heartbroken. They're devastated. And the father says to his uh, child in the middle of that heartache, what color or what shape is the moon? The moon is always round. Is God good? God is good. We can't see it right now. Like sometimes the shape of the moon is obscured in the darkness, but God is still good. He hasn't changed. No shadow can change his fullness or goodness. He's always good even when we can't see it. Friends, when we're afraid, it's hard to see God's presence with us. And David just reminds us, God is still there. Uh, he expands our field of vision to say, look beyond your problems. Is God good now? God is always good. Is God for you? In Jesus Christ, he is for you. David helps us see beyond the clouds to the never-changing nature of God. He has not abandoned us. Even when we can't see it, he's still our shield. Uh, he is still a lifter up of drooping heads. He is our glory. He's a responder to prayer. And so friends, look to God, not just your problems. Expand your field of vision to see God. He is with you. But second, here's the second thing we see what David does. Second, he says, not only look to God, expand your field of vision to see God, but secondly, cry out to God. Cry out to God. In verse 4, it says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. The word cried aloud there, uh, I mean, it's not that hard to understand, right? 
uh, crying is kind of raw, and the aloud part is like it's not just this silent cry to God. There's this verbal, like God, I don't know how it sounded like, but there's, it's raw. He's crying aloud to God. David is honest with God. He needs God's help, and he's not afraid to ask for it. You know, for a lot of years, my prayer life was a little bit polite with God. Ten years ago, we went through the worst crisis of our lives as a family. I won't get into the details of that, but I would not wish that intense period of struggle on anybody. And during that period, our kids would go to school. We would hold it together in the morning. We'd get our kids out of the door. The minute they shut the door, um, like, are they gone? They're gone. And my wife and I would sit on the couch and cry aloud to God. I can't tell you, honestly, like, honestly, for at that point, my wife and I have been married for 20 years. We'd never been able to pray together. We tried, but it never seemed to work. But during that period, we were so desperate that we locked the door, and probably for the first half an hour or hour of our mornings, our prayers were not polite. They were just crying aloud to God. I don't think they were very articulate prayers. Uh, I've heard articulate prayers. Possibly I've prayed in my although I don't think very often, possibly I've prayed. You know when you hear people pray and you're just like, I wish I could pray like that? Like, if only I, they just sound like Shakespeare, they sound like a poet, and you're like, I'm just in awe of that prayer. Maybe I've had one of those in my life. These were not articulate prayers. These were desperate prayers, messy prayers, uh, inarticulate prayers. We had no other choice. We learned to pray together to this day. It changed our prayer lives. It helped me move from being a polite prayer to a desperate prayer of somebody just crying out to God because we had nowhere else to turn. And it felt like we were holding on to God for life. Like it felt like if we let go of God at that point, we didn't know where we would sink. We, we just knew it wasn't going to be very good. Paul Miller says this. He says that's exactly how God wants us to come to him. God wants us to come to him empty-handed, weary, and heavy laden. I've already told you a little bit about my bent. I kind of like to... Um, and this affected my marriage. I wouldn't even share problems with my wife because I thought, you know, she, she doesn't need my problems. Uh, maybe I'll just keep them to myself and that way I won't burden her with them. But what I didn't realize is she's looking at me saying, we're married, like I've got your problems anyway. You may as well be honest with me about them because you hiding them isn't very effective. I think sometimes I'm like that with God. Like maybe I need to manage myself, my load myself. I can't burden God with this. And God's saying, no, come to me, cry aloud to me. I can handle your honesty. I can handle your desperate prayers. God wants us to come to him honestly. And Psalm 3 gives us uh, the example of how to do this. Come to God messy. If you have no words to to come to God with, if you're in the middle of pain, come to him with your tears. Just express to him, God, I need you. One of the greatest prayers, uh, Lord, have mercy. You don't need to have articulate words. Just come to God and cry out to him. And notice what happened when David said this. In verse 4, he says, God answered me from his holy hill. Now, I'm fascinated by this. What happened? Did he cry out to God and all of a sudden Absalom stood down or was killed? And uh, was it a case of God cried out and instantly God's like, you're right. 
like go back to Jerusalem. No, David's still on the run. Circumstances had not changed. But instantly, David knew that God on, in his holy hill had heard him. And it was as good as done. David said, God's heard me. He's answered my prayer. I'm still on the run. I've still got thousands of enemies surrounding me. Circumstances haven't changed, but I know God is on my side. And what this means is, friends, we can, in the middle of circumstances, have the confidence that God has heard us, that God's ear is attentive to us, and he has got our back. Verse 7, he says, uh, this is a good prayer. I didn't used to understand this. He says, arise, O Lord, save me, O God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. That sounds violent to us. If you read the Psalms and you're wondering, how can David pray that about God uh, striking all his enemies on the cheek? Shouldn't David just be forgiving? You break the teeth of the wicked. Friends, I'm so glad for these words. I was talking to friends the other week, and they were talking, he's a police officer, and he deals with awful things. And sometimes it goes before the court, and uh, judgment is rendered, the judge bangs the gavel, and then you're saying, you know, somebody's saying justice is done, and you're looking at it going, justice has not been done. That guy did horrible things, and he's getting like, what, uh, two years of weekends in jail? Like, you call that justice? What David is saying here is, look, God will ultimately render justice, and it will be it will be just. There will be no, if you've been the abuse of horrible things happening to you, know this, you don't have to take revenge. God will, justice will be rendered by him. And this is very good. So David's saying, God, I trust this to you. I don't have to attack my enemies. I'm going to defend myself. But God, you've got this. You're going to make sure that justice has been done. As a friends, come to God. If you've been the victim of wrongdoing, cry out to God and say, God, I need you to do justice. I don't want to take revenge on my own hands. I'm trusting you that the person who's wronged me that will never in this life face the consequences for what they've done, one day they'll stand before you, God. One day that you will see it. Uh, you will see it. And it will be rendered. The justice will be rendered perfectly on that day. And so, friends, look to God. In the middle of trouble, look to God. And then be honest with him. Give him your problems. He can handle them. He can handle whatever you're going through. Look to God, not just your problems. Cry out to him because he will hear you. But there's one more thing in verses 5 and 6 that we can do. He says, uh, here's the last thing we can do, and then lie down and go to sleep. Lie down and go to sleep. Verses 5 and 6, imagine David's being chased by enemies. He's on the run. He's lost everything. In verses 5 and 6, he says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. David says, in the middle of being on the run, in the middle of betrayal, in the middle of losing everything, I'm going to lie down and sleep because I know that God is going to sustain me. Go to sleep. God's not going to sleep. God's got you. Uh, rest in him. When we look beyond our problems and see God and then cry out to him and know that he hears us, we can begin to experience something remarkable. We're no longer carrying the problems ourselves. We can go to sleep trusting that God has got it.
Uh, one of my friends uh, talked to me one day. He's a, one of the godliest people I know. And he was trying to get across to me the truth of 1 Peter 5, 7. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting, we can cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. And here's what he said to me. He said, Daryl, what does it mean to cast your anxieties on God? I thought it was, you know when somebody asks you a question like that and you, you kind of know what you're going to get it wrong? Like, it's like, I think I know what it means to cast your problems on God. Like, what it means is, like, you, you talk to God about them. Like, you pray about them. You say, God, here's all my problems. Uh, I want you to handle them because I can't handle them. And so he's uh, trying to answer, and he says, sort of right, but you haven't quite got it. And he says, okay, like, if you're standing beside a pool, and you've got a something, like, say, a duffel bag, and you, somebody tells you to cast your uh, duffel bag into the pool, he's like, what do you do? And now I'm kind of feeling really stupid, right? Like, is this a trick question? Like, you take your duffel bag, and you heave it, and you let go of it, and it goes in the pool. He says, exactly. But he says, you know what a lot of us do? We, instead of casting our cares on God and letting go of it, like the duffel bag into the pool, we hold on to it. Like we're like, here God, we cast it on him, but we're still holding on to it. We're still carrying it. And he says, we've got to learn. And this is what David does in this psalm. When you cast your cares upon God, you need to let go of them. You don't hold on to them anymore. You say, God, these are, this is yours now. I'm going to let go of it. I'm going to sleep. It's yours. Here's the honesty, because sometimes pastors can be dishonest. This is not easy. When I've been successful in doing this, it's been a daily practice. It's like I cast my cares on God. The next day I wake up and I'm carrying them again. And I've got to cast them on God again and let go of them. And the next day I'm like, remember yesterday I cast these cares upon God? Why am I still carrying them? I've got to keep doing it over and over again. But here's the reality. You don't need to carry what God has offered to carry for you. He is on your side. And so we can go to sleep. We can trust our biggest problems on God and say, God, I'm not going to be afraid because you're going to sustain me. Other people might abandon me. You will never abandon me. I've got limited power. You have unlimited power. You can respond. I'm going to entrust myself to you. As Jared Wilson said years ago, I've always, he got in a little trouble for saying this, but I, I think it stuck with me. It helped me a lot. He says, the gospel frees us to chill the heck out. We can chill out. If God is for you, friends, here's the reality of the gospel. The gospel is evidence that Jesus Christ is for you. Not only has Jesus forgiven you, if you turn to Christ today, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, Here's the good news. You can come to him today with your mess, your sins, your doubts. You can come to him empty-handed. He will receive you. He's never turned anyone away. And when we turn to Jesus, when we, he, he binds himself to us. He says, I, I'm wiping all your mess away. I gave my life. I'm adopting you into my family. I've, I'm just pouring everything on you that I possibly could, the riches of heaven. And once he does that, his, we can just know he will not never turn his back. He's got us. He is carrying the stress. His concern for you. You are so loved. You could not be more loved by God. Every detail of your life is under his care. God is present. God is your shield, 
your glory, the lifter of your head. And so you can chill. He's got you. You can go to sleep at night feeling safe because nothing will ever remove you from the love of God. I'm so glad for this psalm. I'm so glad, I think in God's providence, uh, I just love that Albert asked me to preach Psalm 3, and I looked at it the week after, the week, like the day after I'd had a sleepless night, and I had to remind myself of these truths. Friends, I'm so glad that David doesn't write this as a theoretician. David is not writing an abstract treatise. David is writing this in the worst crisis of his life. It's not easy, and it's not automatic, but I, can, I know from experience that it, this is the path forward. It's what we need. Look to God, not just your problems. Cry out to him and then go to sleep. Friends, you're going to experience anxiety. Some of you are going through it right now. God has not abandoned you. Your problems might even get more difficult, but the one who gave his own son for you will not abandon you. Look to him. Cry out to him. Give him your problems and go to sleep. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you speak to us and our problems. I thank you for your word, Lord, which is so powerful. It, when I read the Psalms, I'm amazed at how accurately uh, these Psalms speak to what we go through. And Lord, in the middle of trouble, I thank you that like David, we can look to you. I thank you that, David, we can uh, cry out to you, Lord, that we can give you exactly what we're going through. In complete honesty, Lord, we can cry out to you as Jesus did himself in his moment of trial. And then, Lord, I thank you that we can go to sleep knowing that you are the shield around us. You are our glory. You are the lifter of our heads. Lord, I thank you for how David concluded this psalm. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. And so, Lord, the one who has given us salvation, the one who's promised to bless your people, would you draw near to us in our time of trouble as we look to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.